One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases. And it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Noseworthy. Hey there, it's Dr. Noseworthy, and in uh, this episode, we're going to introduce a another relevant topic, and that is inflammation and exercise. And I, I say relevant not only because exercise is an absolutely integral part of being healthy and a, a an amazing modulatory tool to be able to control your own physiology, but relevant also because of the time of year when I'm recording this. Um, as of right now, we're, we're just into the month of November in 2022. And this is about the time where a lot of the people who committed to New Year's resolutions of, you know, eating better, losing weight, going to the gym, are starting to fall away. And I may have mentioned this in podcasts before. You may have heard me say this in social media or any of the online programs that I offer for do-it-yourselfers. Um, that basically every every year, every single gym in North America, at least the ones I've been to, and of course I haven't been to all of them, uh, but there's this phenomena where from January to February, gyms are flooded with people who aren't there um, from March to December. And this is just a cultural thing, right? We get to the end of the new year or the old year. We start making plans about what we're going to do better this year, things that maybe we didn't follow through on the year before. And so as, as an avid gym goer for most of my life, um, you know, I started to notice this pretty early on. Nobody, nobody who went to the gym on a routine basis looked forward to January 2nd when gyms opened up again because you couldn't get your machines, you couldn't get the weights you want to use, whether it's the cardio equipment because there were, you know, 10 times the number of people that were typically there. The unfortunate thing is the vast majority of people who go to the gym first thing in the new year in January and through part of February, they don't stick to it. And there's any number of reasons for that. It, it could be simply lack of motivation. You know, the, the steam and the motivational drivers that get people into the gym in January, they, they just kind of peter out and they don't have a mechanism or the mindset that keeps that going. <clears throat> it could also be because they don't have support at home. You know, let's say it's a, a husband and wife or roommates or whatever the case might be. And they go together and then one person kind of peters out and the other person is kind of left on their own. And sometimes people only have motivation when they have some kind of an accountability partner. So there's any number of reasons why people get into February, certainly into March, and they just kind of fall up by the wayside, which is why so many people end up making the same New Year's resolutions over and over and over again. But really what this podcast is, and it'll probably take us a couple of different episodes to go through the things that I think are important for you to know. Um, this is not about how do you get the motivation, um, how do you stick to it, how do you plan, all that kind of stuff. What I want to talk about is the relationship between inflammation and exercise and how exercise can uh, be either your best friend or your worst enemy, particularly if you're dealing with uh, inflammatory type disorders. And let me just kind of get the bottom line out for you first, and then we'll talk, we'll kind of backfill some of the details and, and talk about some of the different subsections 
under this umbrella concept. And, and the umbrella concept is this, that exercise modalities or methods of exercising that have the greatest probability of affecting change, whether it's increasing your cardiorespiratory capacity or if it's reducing body fat or gaining muscle or just increasing your general physical preparedness and your functional capacity. Any exercise that's really worth doing brings with it an increase in free radical production or what we call oxidative stress as well as inflammation. For example, if you were to go, if we were to measure your blood and, and look at markers for oxidative stress and inflammation before you went on a 20-minute leisurely stroll and then measured them again at the end, they probably wouldn't be all that much different. But if we measured your blood work before you went to, say, an Orange Theory fitness class or a CrossFit or some kind of a functional fitness where high-intensity interval training is kind of part and parcel of what you're going to be doing in that arena, um, then the more intensely you work, especially over a period of time, the more likely it is that you're going to see an increase in those blood markers of oxidative stress or free radicals and, and inflammation. So what gives? I mean, I thought, I thought exercise was good for me. Why on earth would exercise actually cause an increase or certain types of exercise cause an increase in free radical stress and in inflammation? And does that mean that I should not be engaging in certain types of exercise? And the answer is, first of all, Inflammation and free radicals are part and parcel of how your body responds to any type of stressor. The greater the magnitude of the stressor, the greater the magnitude of increase in free radical production as well as inflammation. And that has to be dampened with your own endogenous capacity to, to quell free radicals and to quell the inflammatory cascade, or at least to control it. But to take that phenomena, which is a natural stress-adaptive phenomena, and flip it around and say, well, if high-intensity exercise training increases free radicals and inflammation, which we know are bad for us, then why should I ever consider doing that? And that kind of on the surface seems like logical statements, but what we're not accounting for is the context of each individual person. And let me give you an example. And uh, I'm, I'm a big CrossFit fan. You might have problems with the training methodology, but I've been involved with CrossFit style training for quite a long time. And even back before they had official certification, I was a, a cross, what, what you might call a CrossFit level one certified trainer back in the early days of CrossFit. And I did it for my own benefit. Um, I opened a home gym. I had a garage full of equipment and I trained all my kids. And uh, we used to homeschool for a while back in the early days, and we used to call it homeschool CrossFit. And, uh, you know, to this day, all of my adult children now, for the most part, have a, an avid commitment to health and fitness and doing things to take care of their body. And that's not really what this episode is about, but just to kind of give you a little bit of insight into to my background and my attitudes on, on health and fitness. The problem comes when, when whatever exercise modality you're choosing to accomplish your goal, when the metabolic demand of that, particularly the potential to increase free radicals and inflammation, when it outpaces your ability to handle that. In other words, recoverability, not just your performance, but recoverability is an absolutely crucial parameter to have your eyes on, either just through kind of intuitive observation or if you use things like heart rate variability and other metrics to get some numbers and some data to make sure that you're not exceeding your capacity.
And so one of the things that I want you to think about, in, and this is a concept that I like to teach in the seminars that I teach to doctors when we talk about exercise as a tool that we should be using in functional medicine programs, is that we have to meet people where they are. And, and let me go back to the example that I was going to, to give you. One of the fundamental tenets of high-intensity training or functional-type training, whether it's CrossFit or otherwise, doesn't really matter because the principles are universal, is that the, the training requirements of an 82-year-old grandmother or great-grandmother differ only in intensity but not kind for those of someone who's an elite athlete in their 20s or 30s. And basically what that means is that human movement is human movement. And the things that are beneficial for whatever our goals might be, whether you're trying to win a, you know, set a world record or win a gold medal, or whether you're just trying to be, just trying to make sure that you can get in and out of your car, up and down, out of your chair or the toilet, or be able to carry your own groceries from the car into your house and put them in the cupboard in the fridge. It doesn't really matter. That's all human performance. It's just a matter of extremes. And so the training principles that apply to an elite athlete apply to our elderly. And to throw one more concept in there, and, and really what I want to do is in, in this episode is just kind of introduce some ideas and maybe create some kind of a mental framework that in the next handful of episodes we can drill depth and breadth of that so you can start to see how all these pieces fit together. But let's say that, let's say that you are um, uh, a chronically inflamed overweight, sedentary person, maybe going for a 20 to 30 minute walk around your neighborhood, even if it's flat terrain, could be so metabolically challenging to you that instead of doing one 20 minute session, you're better to break it up into two 10 minute sessions with some recovery in between. Whereas somebody who's an elite athlete, let's say Rich Froning, who was a multi-time winner of, of the CrossFit Games, um, is so well-conditioned and is so in tune with his physiology that walking for 20 minutes is really metabolically no more challenging perhaps than taking a nap. And, and so <clears throat> when we look at these universal concepts of exercise is good, some exercises are better than others in accomplishing certain types of goals and being clear on what those goals are are pretty important. When you understand that if you exceed your own metabolic capacity to control free radical stress and inflammation, then no matter what exercise you're choosing to do, it's a bad choice. And to translate into that, into a kind of like a real world example that I think you might be able to wrap your head around, is that it, it's not uncommon for me when clients come to me for one-on-one -on -one coaching for, you know, it's usually autoimmune issues that, that have multiple symptoms in multiple systems. It, it's usually not one thing that's wrong. It's a bunch of things. You know, sometimes I find that, that people in an effort to help themselves are in the gym, busting their butt, killing themselves in the gym, so to speak, and they're expecting a certain return because exercise is good, and if exercise is good, more exercise is better, and there's all this emphasis on things like high-intensity interval training and resistance training, which I believe there should be. <clears throat> with some individual caveats. But if the effort of being in the gym five, six, seven days a week for an hour, hour and a half, two hours at a time is driving your own inflammation and oxidative stress so high that you can't dampen that, exercise then becomes an obstacle to improvement. And it's not unusual for me in a circumstance like that to tell somebody, hey, you have a choice. 
you can either quit going to the gym six days a week and go three and give yourself more time to recover, or you can go to the gym with the same frequency, but you need to dial back your intensity and volume by 50, 60, 70%, or a combination of those. Instead of going to the gym six days a week, you go three and you do half the volume and intensity. And all we're doing with that is we're trying to match the metabolic demand of exercise with the capacity of their physiology to dampen that. Because ultimately at the end of the day, your response to exercise is not only predicated on your goals and the choice of how you accomplish that. It's your ability to perform and recover without exceeding your metabolic capacity to dampen free radical stress and inflammation. And that's a really big concept. And, and what that does then is it allows us to kind of look at our own individual circumstance and look at our own performance in the gym, look, our, look at our recovery from the things that we're choosing to do, whether that's just intuitive observation or if it's aided with data and metrics from things like heart rate variability or a smartwatch or WHOOP or the Aura Ring or whatever the case is. There's a lot of data that can be had to aid these decisions. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the question is not, is this exercise better than this exercise? It's what is my metabolic capacity to perform and recover, and how do I make sure that I'm kind of riding that balance point where I'm doing enough to make a change, but I'm not doing so much that I'm actually creating the very problem that I'm trying to fix. So that's probably it for right now. This is really just more of an introductory episode to, again, get that concept out or some of these concepts. And over the next handful of episodes, we'll break things down into a little bit more detail and try to give you some ideas that you can explore on your own and maybe some tips and tricks and some tools that you can use to make sure that you're protecting yourself as best as you can. Remember, anything that you choose to do, whether it's diet, lifestyle, or supplementation, really needs to be individualized. And it's great to go out on the internet and read blogs or listen to podcasts that, that I or somebody else puts out there and, and to kind of get an idea of what the general concepts are. And those general concepts might work for the average person, but I'm willing to guess that if you're part of the Inflammation Nation and you're listening to this podcast because you have problems related to inflammation that you're trying to solve, then you must understand that every choice you make has got to be individualized. And, and there's a greater probability of you having success if you understand these big picture concepts and understand where you are physiologically and make sure that you're lining those two things up so that you get progress rather than actually the choices you make are being detrimental to you. All right, we'll talk next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.